This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. You know, if only we had a crystal ball to peek at the next five years. Now, as a shop owner, you might still be booked out two to three weeks, but with gas prices, inflation, a great resignation, interest rates, and new and used car costs, what do you need to pay attention to in the short term to continue to be profitable and relevant? From the Aftermarket Radio Network, Carm Capriato here, and my panel of business coaches give their perspective on the next five years. Thanks to our partners, Apex and Shopware, for bringing you this episode. You know, Apex 2022, again, will feature Repair Shop HQ with you in mind. That's right. The one-stop destination is to meet the product, equipment, and training needs of shop owners, managers, and technicians. It's all happening at Apex 2022, November 1st through the 3rd in the great city of Las Vegas. Be there to register. Visit aapexshow.com slash register. Remember, uh, make your hotel reservations at the uh, Apex website, apexshow.com, aapexshow.com. You know, your techs don't want to stand around while you type in details for a repair order with Shopware and RO gets set up in seconds instead of minutes and everyone gets on with their day. It's that easy on the web. Talk to my friends at getshopware.com. With me is Joe Marconi from Elite Worldwide, former shop owner. Joe, thank you for all that you continue to do with us here on the show. It's an honor to be here. It really is. Thank you, Joe. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Chris Cotton's here from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching and the weekly Blitz podcast on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Good to see you, Chris. Good to see you, Carm. Seems like I just saw you just a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> Don't tell people all of our behind-the-scenes stuff here. Yeah, we, we were working, weren't we? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Always, right? Yeah, yeah. And Michael Smith is here, managing partner from Herzberg Smith & Company. Great advice as always, Michael. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. It's great to join this panel. Thank you. Hunt Demarest, CPA, Parmelis, and the Aftermarket Radio Network Business by the Numbers podcast. Good to see you, Carm. Hunt, you're on fire with like the last five or six episodes. Just, <laughs> you know, part of my inspiration was just listening to what you have to say, by the way. I appreciate yeah, it. Stuff. Jaron Kleber, Repair Shop of Tomorrow. Hello, Jaron. Nice to see you, Ben. Hey, Carm. Appreciate you guys uh, letting me be a part of this rock star panel and uh, looking forward to it. Can't wait. All right. So a client comes up to you and says, should I be concerned over the next three to five years? Look at I'm booked out two to three weeks. Yet gas prices, inflation, the great resignation, interest rates, New and used cars. Oh, my God. We're paying more for rock star talent. What do I need to pay attention to in the short term so I can be profitable and relevant? And, oh, by the way, guys, will it last? Will a recession account for job losses? What about miles driven? Fuel costs. People are working from home. They're not driving their cars. This episode is your best Wisdom to keep positive, think on the right track for you. And I think our panel's going to knock it out of the park. Things are great now, but many factors are pushing back the headwinds. Hunt, was COVID a gift? I think for a lot of people, it really was. We were talking to people early on, you know, when this first hit and we were first talking start talking about the PPP and stuff. I mean, people were terrified about this. How am I going to pay my guys? Are people going to keep on driving? The short term, a month, maybe two months, depending on where they were, 
it was really bad. But I would say of my clients, 99% of them, this last two years has been the best of their career. Even if the sales were kind of maintained on it, they got a huge influx of cash with the PPP or other credits that are out there. They got some cheap loans on this. I mean, I had more people completely get out of debt than ever in the past. I had more people that came into this business underfunded and never had capital that actually have a savings account now, that have that rainy day fund. But there's also a lot of people that have survived off of this where if there wasn't a PPP, if there wasn't the idle, they might not have made it through there. And I think a lot of people are forgetting that a little bit too early. So it's smoke and mirrors at this current moment that we have to tell our clients, okay, you got a gift from the heavens somehow. Too bad everything that happened with COVID happened, but we cannot rest back on the fact that, we're, that this train is probably going to slow down one day. And I think that's what we are here to talk about. And so please, gentlemen, comment on each other. You don't have to wait on me. But I, but I think this is the, the forward think of this topic, of this podcast here. First of all, I also think this is like a six-hour podcast topic. And we'll, we'll do the best <laughs> yeah. we can with it. Yeah. Right? So, Hunt, do you think we're going to see, outside of everything else, like a decline and, for lack of better terms, like a default on people being like, okay, I have to pay the idle loan back now. I've misused it and it's easier for me to close than try to pay it back. And so people always ask me about the idle. You know, we're not going to get into how you can use it, how you can't use it, but there's specific ways that you're allowed to use this. And depending on which client, I have some people that used it completely by the book. And I have had some people that have gotten aggressive on this. And the people have asked me, well, Hunt, what happens when the IRS or the SBA starts looking into this? Or are they going to start looking into this? And what I've always told people is like, hey, the wording on this is very ambiguous. What this is intended to do is to keep your business solvent, to keep your employees paid, and to make sure that your business can survive. As long as you're kind of going under that same guise of keeping in the business, not buying a bass boat, not buying a motorcycle with it, I think that you're going to be okay because of what you just said, Chris. I don't know the numbers out there and no one does, but the reason they keep on pushing back the first payment on these idle loans is because the SBA and the government in general is terrified on who's going to actually pay them when they say, Chris, you need to start paying me back. If I had to guess 15 to 20% of that idle money that they gave out there, they're never getting back. Those people have maybe used it correctly, right? Let's say that you had a bar or a restaurant or a concert venue. You got $150,000. That was a spit in the bucket. If you kept on paying your employees, you went out of business a year later, right? Unless you majorly pivoted. So they're going to go back and they're going to say, Chris, you had that bar and grill. Where's our money? And you're going to say, it's gone, right? I spent it. I'm out of business. Now they need to look into you and say, well, did you just take it out yourself? And then there's just a number of people, not firsthand, but I've heard of people that had said, hey, there's no personal guarantee on this. I didn't have to sign anything personally. So my business, my LLC got this money. I'll shut my business down. What are they going to go after? Now, this is the government, right? And so, yeah, you didn't sign a personal guarantee, but they create the rules. So I think that there is going to be people that get into trouble for this, but I believe you're going to really have to have done something pretty egregious before they can actually you know, get charges or get restitution from this. Joe, I want to go to you. We have an opportunity right now where pricing is going smartly, if you will, inside of our industry with labor rates getting properly 
applied and us finding better and smarter ways to hire better people, pay, retention, benefits, all that. We've got to invest in our people, Joe, and I think that's going to sustain us. Is that one of the secrets to getting through this? Right on target, Carm. You know, one of our greatest strengths has always been the people we have employed. And, you know, years back, if you think about it, you know, the shop owner that typically, he was at the top of the pyramid. And in terms of everything, the decisions, uh, marketing, directing the people, the workflow, he or she was directly involved with that. But if the company, your company, if you're going to grow in the future, you got to think in terms of and realize that you can only bring the company so far. You know, your talents, your strengths are only going to bring the company here. And while you can get away with that 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago in a small shop environment, the way things are today, you can't. You need to rely on the talents, the strengths of people around you. You need to assemble around you, your employees in particular, great strengths, great talents, and you need to feed off that. And you have to help guide them. You have to do all you can to find out exactly what matters to them, too. See, and when you talk about career path, it's just not about what you determine is important for the company. It's very, very important to determine what's important for them, because that's why people jump around a lot today. You don't see people that have a, they have a career, they get a job, and then they kind of listen to the, the owner, the shop owner, the manager, and he directs you. He, he develops a kind of like a hierarchy of what you need to do. It's not that way anymore. It's not that way in the future. We have to allow people to be recognized. We have to appreciate what they bring to the table. Then you have to invest a lot of time, energy, training into what is going to connect the dots with their objectives, their goals. Because when you align their goals with the company goals and the employees know that if I can attain a certain level, a certain income, whatever it is, to achieve my personal goals, that can only be worked out to the company achieving the company goal. Even Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady, he's, he may be considered one of the greatest football players of all time, but he's actually one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He can't survive or can't win without the combined talents of people around him. It's the same with shop owners. If you're going to survive in the future, you've got to rely on the combined talents and strengths of the people around you. And that's part of your job as a shop owner going into the future. It's a great point. If I was on the team that Tom Brady was on and I was a pass receiver, I would say to myself, I want to catch his ball. Period. And they do. (laughs) You know, we have a tech shortage, right? Everyone wants to talk about that. How many people do you see that are so focused on finding that next technician and are ignoring the people in their shop? You know, and I've always told people that of like, hey, if you get a new person, but you lose an existing one, you're no better off. Yeah, Hunt, you are right on target there. And first of all, I've been around a while, as you can see from this gray hair, and we've had a technician shortage for a long time. Whether we can blame everybody or blame who, doesn't matter. By the way, there's not going to be any knight in shining armor that's going to come and solve this problem for us. we got to solve it in the, in the industry. But to your point, Hunt, you're right on target. We worry so much about the next uh, employee coming to our doorstep. Let's take care of the people we have right now because they're being recruited by, let's face it, everybody. So, Hunt, to your point, it's an excellent point. We've got to invest in the people we have right now because it's our investments going to drive our businesses and our business model into the next 10, 15, 20 years. What I heard from you say was, is people have to be working in their business in order to survive what's coming next and what they're getting through. So that means that they can't be 
fat, happy, and lazy right now and on their cruises and shop owners haven't been in their shops for the last two, three, four, five months, eight months, a year. Yep. And okay. I just wanted to make sure that that's kind of what I got out of that. <laughs> well, so, you're right about that. I listened to your podcast earlier about, you mentioned that, you mentioned that. And yeah. That's a great point. We tend to get complacent in business and I was in business for 41 years. I've seen many highs and lows, many bad times, many good times too. And this will all work itself out. The strong will always find a way. The weak will always, let's face it, they won't find a way. So what we're talking about here, the good shops, the great shops, they take some of this information today. They will make it. They really will make it. But Chris, to your point, I agree 100%. Don't get fat and happy to a point where you're taking, like you said on your podcast, multiple vacations. You're on your boat. Yeah, you got to pay attention. It's your business. You signed the dotted line, right? You signed the dotted line. It's your business. Take care of it. And, but you can't take care of it until you take care of the people around you. Because like Zig Ziglar said, you can get everything out of life you want if you help other people get what they want out of life. Right? Man, were they smart back then, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Michael, we have to pay attention to what the hell's coming out of Detroit. You know, it's all about customer, customer, and people and, and hiring. But again, I think th- this multi-pronged role of the leader of your business has to constantly look at technology, too. I love this conversation. There's all, all kinds of angles that we're looking at. The owner who wants to sell his business into the investment community, not necessarily to his lead employee or his team, his or her. The investment community understands the power of people. They will pay more for a business that the owner is not dialed out of, but not having to work in the business every day. So a savvy owner who is in this for a five to 10, maybe a 15 year period, who wants to get as much out of the business on the back end as possible, if they're not going to sell it to their lead service advisor or their lead tech, should spend time figuring out and all this comes together this way, how to dial up the team, that the team can be as strong as possible, stand on its own, run the business as if they don't need the owner, and the owner then is next to the business and doing what? Growing it potentially, adding more locations. I have a group that we get together and talk about what does it mean to be a little mini M&A consolidator? How do you set yourself up as an individual store to go out and to buy other shops? And what do you look for? How do you bring them in? How do you make it as uh, profitable as possible and not turn your apple cart upside down? And a lot of it comes back to this whole exit strategy question. How long are you going to be in the business? Why did you build the business in the first place? What do you want out of it when it all comes to an end? And it really does flavor what comes out of Detroit. If you have a 5, 10, 15-year period, the car companies are relooking at all of their basic business strategy. They've got four things that they're looking at that are not traditional auto company issues. I wrote them down so I wouldn't miss one of them on here. The connectivity of the car to the internet, the alternative drivetrains that we all know are taking longer than we thought, but they're out there. The shared mobility issue of calling up a car and having somebody pick you up and take you somewhere. And autonomous or ADAS technology. And all four of those things are swirling in their heads where they realize we're not going to be selling cars to kids anymore. They won't buy cars from a dealership. They're going to get picked up in a, in a ride share. Once everything goes autonomous, they're not going to crash into each other. The car is going to change. Brands are going to go down. And again, this is not three to five year window, but here's the point. If I own a shop now 
and I want to do this 10 to 15 years from now, I need to have these things in my head for the next three to five years. And I agree with this group. One of the greatest things you can do is light your team up, teach them how to know all of the things we're talking about here and draw the very best in the industry to you so that they can't go anywhere else to find a job where they're going to learn what you're going to teach them. That's my two cents. Hey, Carm here. Now, when it comes to technical and management training, nothing beats the caliber of classes and expert trainers that Apex puts together for Repair Shop HQ. And that's because a panel of shop owners selects the best training that will drive your business forward. Training is geared toward shop owners, service advisors, and technicians. Technical classes will include ADAS and calibrations, hybrid and electrical vehicle case studies, CAN bus diagnostics, electrical diagnosis, and using current probes to diagnose drivability dilemmas. On the management side, you'll learn marketing strategies that work, employee retention practices, building a culture that employees will embrace, and more. Expert trainers in this year's lineup include Mike Reynolds, John Thornton, Eric Ziegler, Greg Bunch, Bill Haas, and Kim and Brian Walker. Repair Shop HQ training will take place at Apex November 1st through the 3rd in Las Vegas. To learn more, go to aapexshow.com slash training. Hey, aren't you tired of being tired after a crazy day at the shop? Take the frustration out of your work by speeding up the processes that bog you down. Start a repair order based on a canned job. Check. Order parts from a menu. That includes every supplier within seconds. Check. Now send all that information with photos or videos to a customer via a live chat on their phone. What? No, I'm not kidding. Check that box. Get an approval faster than ever so you don't tie up a bay for hours. Check. Hey, it gets even better. Once they see the summary of work they need, next time they ask you to fix one or two more items today. Boom, that bill goes up. And you make more. Then, get this, they pay you on their phone before they even pick up their car. This could be your life, my friend. Talk to my friends at GetShopware.com. Imagine having a healthy discussion with your team if it's on your Monday morning meeting or and just bring some of this stuff up and say, I know this may sound a little Star Wars-ish, but... We have to think that through. Oh, we got to do repair order audits today, but we still have to pay attention, okay? And I think exciting your team, the fact that they look at you as a leader and says, well, he's thinking like that and thinking down the road. You talk about career pathing, Joe? I mean, come on. If we're thinking future tomorrow, capitalism will find a way. Bring on those EVs. We can get Tesla parts now from people and... And one of the other things is we've gotten, let's just say that we're a little fat and happy because there's a lot of MSO stuff going on. Now, oh my God, I got this money. We're we're having success. I'm booked out two or three weeks. Let's bring on another store and then another store. But you can't go forward unless the systems, operations, and procedures are right. Right, Jared? Yeah, exactly, Carmen. I just want to touch on what Joe and Mike said. When we talk to a lot of people uh, and our clients, we talk about it's not about the one, it's about the all. And that's really important. I had a client come up to to us at the expo in Vegas and say, you know, last week I paid out more incentives to my team than I've ever done in my 20 plus years of business. And I said, well, tell me how you make, how'd that make you feel? And he said, I hope I pay out more next week. (laughs) I mean, I think we can all resonate with that message, right? It's when our technicians know our system operations procedures 
and they're doing what's, what they need to be done. Our service advisors understand it. Everybody starts rowing the boat in the same direction. Yeah. That's when the shop wins. And I think that I think that gets lost when any of us are talking to our clients that, you know, they think, okay, well, what do I need to do as an owner? But one of the things we focus on, again, is putting those processes in place so that everyone in the shop is on the same page. Yeah. And investing in your people, to me, that's the biggest thing that you can do as a shop owner today. Yeah, is make sure you've got your, your team. Because if yeah. your team's going to work for you every single day and you're treating them and you're incentivizing them to do their job correctly, then as an owner, a byproduct of that is what, right? You're going to be yeah. more successful. Yeah, yeah but Jared... Well, to your point, though, these systems and policies and procedures, it used to be the responsibility of the shop owner. My generation was, it's my business, my responsibility. It's my job to do all this. I set the standards. I set the training. I set this. It's just not that way anymore. And you're right. I agree with you 100%. In order to get everybody on the same page and rowing in the same direction, there has to be some sort of structure involved. But in order to have that work, you got to have everybody included in on developing those systems and processes. When I teach my clients and I, and, and I coach them, I tell them, I says, it's, I'm coaching you to help your people become better because no matter how good you are, you're only going to get here. You got to bring your people around you, make them better for you to be better. Well, what happened, what happened during COVID was, is we went back to basics. We're like, holy crap, what 100%. are we going to do? How 100%. are we going to get through this? And everybody in the industry stood together and figured it out and was like, okay, you're going to go back to basics. You're going to take great care of your customers. You're going to put out content. You're going to call your customers. You're going to make sure that they know you're still open and get them in. And so we focused on processes and procedures and customer service. Now we've gotten complacent. Things like that are starting to slip. Now, don't get me wrong. I still think we're, if we're looking at a race, like we're a bunch of thoroughbreds with a bunch of donkeys running around just because like, don't get me started about fast food and the way they treat their customers and everybody yeah. else. I still think we're way ahead, but to your job. point, we have to make sure processes and procedures are in place and that we're ready. The biggest thing that can hurt us at this point is car stop showing up or people can't pay. And so, so what's the solution for that? Like that's, and the other thing, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma and Texas my family's full of heavy equipment operators, roughnecks. You know, we're just living from one bus to another. And I think we have all these younger people that haven't really lived through one of those yet. Because I'm, I'm saying COVID was not a bus. COVID was not even a blip on our radar, honestly. No. So are you saying that a recession would be a big blip, a really heavy one? Man, Carm, if I knew what this crystal ball was going to do, like six, eight months ago, and I think Hunt and I have talked about it, like I thought this was going to happen next year. Stuff's happening now. We have to change our mindset and the stuff that we always knew is not around anymore. And then now you have the government changing the definitions for all the things that we've always known. So you take a person that like tries to read and educate themselves and things like that. How? How can you even do that if they're telling you we're not in a recession because jobs are here to me? And I don't somebody can maybe correct me, somebody smarter than me, maybe hunt. The jobs report will always look better because we always have people looking for jobs. So they're just going to go from one job to another. And as long as we I mean, it's all witchery and voodoo at this point. Right. So it's, I think the covid comment that hunt started with and, and some of the notes that, you know, we shared pre you know recording here. Covid gave, in my opinion, a lot of our shop owners a false sense of success. And I say that 
with all due respect, right? I ask the question a lot of times, do, you know, do you feel like your shop's plateaued? And, and I, you know, get, you know, people look at me like I have two heads because car counts to the roof. Everything's great. But then I follow that up with, well, what have you done differently this last 18 to 24 months to experience this success and this growth? And most of the times they haven't done anything different, right? Hunt? It's, it's just a byproduct of the marketplace that we're in. That's and a good that's, point. That's what's scary, right? For that's really scary. We've got to make sure that if they're having that success, let's keep shining that jewel and let's keep it rolling because I think things are going to start to shake out a little bit and we're going to have to be on our A game. Well, so this is what I heard you say, and I just want to make sure that I give you a point to clarify this or make sure that everybody that's listening hears this. On a scale of one to 10, we had shop operators that were a five, maybe a six. COVID made them tens and they think they're tens, but they did nothing in the last two years to make sure that they were tens. So when the rug gets jerked out from under them, they're going to be a six or a four because they haven't bothered to do anything in the last two years and they're not ready. And holy smokes, it's going to be a rude awakening for you people that are in that situation. Well, let me build on what you said, Chris. There's a trend that we haven't talked about on this, and it's been beaten to death, is the baby boomers getting out of this industry. And that hasn't gone away. These guys are still getting older. And Idle Loans, you know, gave them another respite to have a little money in the bank, and I'll see what happens later, and maybe I stay a little longer. The older these folks get, the, they're going to get out. And what it means is there's going to be a lot of turmoil and an awful lot of turnover. And people, if they were happy techs and service advisors working for those folks, they're going to now potentially be in the market looking for something to do. If those guys lock their doors, then their customers come up for grabs. And, you know, the private equity world looks at at baby boomer owned businesses across all industries and believes that 80 to 85% of them are not worth making a private equity investment in because they've been run like a cash machine. They haven't been run like a value-based business. So what it means is if two thirds of the owners in this industry now estimated are baby boomers and 80% of them don't have a business worth selling, over half the industry is going to sort of curl up and blow away in the wind and come up for grabs. And there's opportunity out there, guys. And this is another message that I keep talking to my clients about. You can sit here and ride your current uh, success and stay the way you are, but you really need to look at if you have any inkling at all to jump into the fray and grow. You know, I say, I say to everybody, if the lower half of the industry blows away in the wind, the old average business will now be the worst run business in this industry. Bar is going to keep yeah. getting raised in a way, running business as a business, not running a shop as a shop, but a business as a, as a business like it's never been raised before. And to me, all of our owners have to be out on the front end of that, teaching their people that too, so that we're passing that down to the next generation. And that's what you use to keep the rock stars on your team. I think there's a great comparison to that, right? Like, look at what's happened to all the family farms in America. All the, all the family farmers, for whatever reason, didn't try to make it work. They stayed stuck in their old ways, whatever. And they got gobbled up by these bigger, I'm not going to say better operators. They just were able to find making money. But I really see that, you know, that's kind of what's happening now. Like this is like you have, and if you don't think there are people out there with just 
hundreds of millions of dollars that are just gobbling up independent repair shops. There are dealers in your cities that don't want to be seen. They want this extra arm. So you've got cities now where where the Acura, Honda, whatever dealer, they're going out and buying independent repair shops, but and they're just leaving them the same and, and making sure that they are labeled independent repair shops, but they are not owned that way anymore. There's a couple of aspects on this. I mean, the first one is, is like what Jaron was saying of, no one's doing anything differently, but they're making more money, right? So it's, mm-hmm. you know, what's the saying? This, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and or doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You know, this is kind of the inverse of that. You're doing exactly the same thing and you're getting different results out of it. So is it actually what you're doing or is it outside forces? Also, what I feel like is when COVID hit, everyone got scared. Everyone was very focused on their business, trying to drive stuff. And then things got better and people kind of went back to what they were doing, you know, forgot how scary it was. It didn't have cash. Right. And said, "Okay, everything's fine. This is over with. And what that is, is just kind of reactionary mentality of like, hey, something happened, something goes bad. So I need to change it versus it's like, hey, we need to be looking forward. Hey, how do we position ourselves so that when something does happen, we're already the ones there? You know, like what Mike was saying, I mean, where this industry is going is going to be a consolidation. Right. That's why private equity is in this industry or trying to get into this industry. It's one of the most fragmented, it's probably the most fragmented trade out there because there isn't really the large national regional players to the level that there is in other trades. Now, how they're going to try to get there is going to be a little bit tricky, but with the new technology that's coming out, there's going to be older shops that are left in the dust, right? They're going to be aging. They're going to say, hey, either I put a lot of money in training, tooling to be able to do these newer vehicles, or we can't work on anything newer than 2015. And you can get away with that for a little bit, but eventually they're going to go away. And what ends up going to happen is instead of having 100,000 shops, there's now going to be 40,000 shops. Now, the good thing is, is the people that are forward thinking and are doing the right things are going to come out on the other side and maybe we're no longer talking about a tech shortage, right? Maybe we're not talking about a labor shortage because there's less shops out there. But, you know, to be able to get through that is not going to be the easiest thing for anyone, business or employee-wise. Think of your client base and how many clients you have. And please don't answer this because it's very personal, but I want to know if your client base has grown. And the reason that I want to know that, or I'm curious about it, is with this prosperity, quote, 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 prosperity going on. Do clients still think they need some help and guidance from Quality Coach? I think the good shop operators ask for help. So the biggest part of growth for me in the last 18 months has been people from outside the industry that saw it for what it was and saw it for the cash cow that it was. And we were pandemic proof and everything else like that. And they're like, holy smokes, I have this money that I got a million dollars in idle money for my business. And I can go out and start buying up auto repair shops and I don't know that business at all. So how do I, how do I get into that business and learn it with no background in it? And so those people, those people yeah. reached out. And so 25% of my business now is people that have never been in the industry before. Yeah. I sought out help. I'm seeing the same thing. And I can go back to when I started where it was typical was a mechanic technician turn shop owner. That's what it was. You're a great tech, became a shop owner. It's not that way anymore. We're seeing more and more people that want to become clients, want to become coached. They really come from different industries. They want to be coached. They have, they bring a different dimension, how they think. They don't think as a technician, which is 
I don't want to judge that. Some ways it's actually better not to think as a technician. They think as a business person. So, you know, the Chris's, Chris's point, yeah, we're seeing people now that really want help that are not from the industry, but understand that this has to be a business and run like a business. Well, and you could also be said that now we're getting into second and third generation shops where grandma and grandpa did pretty good. Like they weren't, you know, they were able to take the kids on decent vacations, had a good upbringing and they were able to yeah. cash their paychecks. Yeah. But now you you have people that have left the area and they come back and they're like, hey, grandma and grandpa had something pretty cool here. How yeah. do I take it to the next level? Right. And they weren't necessarily technicians. They were just from maybe people. Yeah, that, no, that, yeah not even exactly. Yep. Yeah, we've seen that too. Yeah. Carm, I'll answer your question. I have had great growth and it's been in the top end shops that have been saying, I want to jump into this changing fray. I don't want to play the way it used to be played. And we did ride out COVID, do have a bunch of money in the bank, and I want to be on the edge of what it turns into. And so there are people that I'm, uh, that are touching me out there that are come from outside the industry. But a lot of this is folks that are in the industry saying, no, I want to take my game up a notch and let's yeah. go do this thing. Yeah. So, yeah. With Chris, Mike and Joe, same, same thing with, with what we're seeing in a coaching world. It's, it's, you kind of got to raise your hand a little bit, right. And say, I think I need a little bit of help, but you have to be open to that help. And oh, yeah. so, and so the majority of, of our clients are successful uh, shop owners, but they realize that there's something else there that they could take to the next level. Um, and one guy told me, I don't know what I don't know. So I need somebody to look at my business and help me get to where I want to be. And then to Michael's point, I think, you know, the younger generation, we're starting to see that as well. The kids in the business, maybe he has 10, 15% ownership. Uh, we help him set up a succession plan and he's the one or she's the one that's really driving the decision to bring in a coach to, you know, hold them accountable and help them grow yeah. into the future. So yeah. as a younger individual in this industry, I love um, seeing others around my age and maybe Hunt's age, you know, get into the business and really take it serious. Yeah. Look at it as a career and not just, well, this is my job and yeah. I got to go to work. And, and for me, someone who's been in the business since 1974, I can say that really is something amazing. It really is. No longer are we an industry that, well, I like working on cars, so maybe there's something I can do, a two-bay shop here, a three-bay shop. No, it's different now. And to see that in the younger generation, because that, I think, is really going to make a big difference in the future. I have a lot of, although we're kind of painting this kind of like dark clouds above us in the next couple of years, I do see a, a lot of great things happening in the industry that i never really seen before. Maybe because of my age and I've been around. My history goes back even before 1974 and I worked with my father in, in the gas station business. So, you know, I've seen a lot through, through the years and there's a lot of things happening today. Look at this panel right here. Could this happen 20 years ago? I mean, really, thanks to CARM, you know, it couldn't happen. I mean, here we are, we're in the same industry, but, you know, with coaches, we have Hunt, who's, who comes from a different perspective, but he lends something that we really need. We need that piece of the puzzle, you know, and each of us do a job that we really, we give back and we help others. But what I see from the younger generation is something that really is inspiring and it means that we're headed for tough times maybe, but let's face it, it's always been tough times. I mean, I've been through many, many tough, tough situations through, through the, through the 40 plus, 45 plus years I've been, I've been around in the industry, but I see a lot of good things too. And don't you think that a lot of the shops that we're dealing with are going to be on the upper end of the spectrum? You know, if you're looking out for help, understanding your numbers or learning more about your business and growing your business. Yeah. I mean, we are dealing with the top shops in this industry. 
And so that's the scary part is like, hey, these are some of the concerns that I have for my shops, who I think are some of the best shop operators in the country. Imagine the people out there that don't need help, right? They don't need a coach. They don't need to understand their numbers. Those are the ones that this is really going to be scary. Now, they're probably not even listening to this podcast right now, so I'm speaking to the air on it. But, you know, it's, hey, these are the people that have said, you know what, the way that I've done it, the way that my mom and dad have done it, my grandpa has done it, maybe isn't the best way. Maybe there's something else. And even if that is a great way of doing it right now, what's next? I mean, I've seen some really cool things that my shops have been starting to do. I was just talking with a shop owner earlier today. He's thinking about going to a four-day work week. I already have a couple shops that do this. I mean, Joe, can you imagine if, you know, back when you started this in the 70s, that you said, hey, you know what, we're going to be open Monday through Thursday. I mean, they would have just been like, we can't do that. That's not possible. And hey, this is the new generation. It's like, why not? Right? We all probably know someone that is doing this and doing it successfully. And to be able to see, you know, kind of what this business is turning into, what this industry is turning into has been incredible because this is not really even a blue collar industry anymore, right? This is not a greasy, everyone has this imagination for a shop where it's like, hey, we're pouring oil down the drain, we're covered in grease. This is a tech industry. You could fix a lot of problems with the cars that roll through these shops without even picking up a wrench, right? It's computerized, it's programming, it's adaptations, it's stuff like that. Even when I first started this 15 years ago, most stuff that came in, if you had a decent set of tools, a wrench, hey, you could fix this. You know, now I I know some of our shop customers, you know, have already diagnosed it via YouTube and they said they could fix it if they want to. But these cars have gotten so complicated. You know, we won't even talk about ADOS and stuff like that. If anything, we are, you know, some of the problems that are getting created are also some solutions. Like, hey, if you Mm -hmm. had a 2004 Honda Civic, just about anything you could fix in your driveway, right? With a standard set of tools from Walmart. Try and do that for a 2022. It's just not possible. You can get to a certain level, but you're done. You need to take it to a professional. So well, there is yeah. aspects of this, which I think are very encouraging and really going to be some cool things coming out of it. Okay. Yeah, I just real quick build on what Hunt said. I came from outside the industry about six, seven years ago. I had 40 industry verticals that I'd served in over time. And I say to everybody in this industry, with the exception of practicing medicine on a human, the most complicated business that I know is this independent auto service business. Any car drives in your lot, you're supposed to be able to fix it and get it out of there efficiently with a happy customer. This is complicated. The logistics, how you guys run this business. I have huge respect for the folks that are here. And that's really a message for the people who are perhaps complacent, maybe trying to do it the same old way. All the stuff we're talking about, the trends of where we're going, it's going to get harder, not easier. Hunt says, you know, we're probably broadcasting to the people that don't need this. <laughs> Everyone needs this, but you know what I mean, Carl. Well, I need to make a comment because when I go out to conferences, people come up to me and it's too often and it motivates me. It's, it's like a, it's gasoline for my fire. And they say, you saved our business. You saved our life. You saved our marriage. And I says, wow. They send you a bill for that. What, what, what's going on? No, because we were struggling. We heard, we found out from a friend. We started to listen, you know, and they're heading each other in the car on their commute saying we should do this, listen to these guys. So the point is, is that if you're listening, 
and you're a top shop operator and you get this and you're here to pick up one new interesting idea or to get confirmation or affirmation that you're you're in the right pew in the right church send this to somebody that you know i mean everyone's in networking groups i mean golly when i go to our local networking group i'm always sharing you did you see this listen to this podcast is a great idea here and so there's a lot of content out there but you have to partake of it and if you commit to learning it then boom, I think it's going to help. I got to rush into an idea hunt, and I know that you all have some comments, but cash, okay, cash is king. And I may have heard that from you, Hunt, at one point in time in my life, but if COVID made cash easy to have, are we going to be disciplined enough to understand it's important to keep and manage? I don't think so. One of the things that I always talk about is is profit is a direct representation on how well that you can run your business, right? There's plenty of coaches. There's plenty of different people that can coach you on how to make your business more profitable. Cash is a trickier thing because cash is now bringing yourself, your personal spending habits into play. And so I have a ton of clients that make a lot of money and they have no cash because if they make $800,000 a year, they'll spend $900,000. Cash is really more of a reflection on what your personal spending habits and your personal kind of uh, morals are and what you need to look like. Now, the thing about cash, though, is cash, we're talking about recession, we're talking about downturn, we're talking about investing the future and investing in your people. Profit can go away in an instant. Cash is what's going to be able to get you through the door and be able to make you sleep at night. You know, And, and that's the big thing that I try to preach to people, but that's also very hard to coach someone on, hey, how do you preserve more cash? Because, hey, maybe you can't afford that boat. Maybe now is not the right time to try and invest this because you're going to put yourself into a very vulnerable spot. And just like we've seen in recessions time and time again, the people that get hit are the ones left holding the bag when things slow down. The builders that say, hey, we're going to build these houses as fast as we can and sell them. And all of a sudden the recession hits and they have 50 houses that they built and they can't sell. They didn't lose because profit went away. They put all of their cash into these houses that are now no longer turning. And that's the scary part that it's like, yeah, expansion, growth, reinvesting, doing other things takes risks and a lot of times takes cash. But you can't jeopardize what you have now because most of the people that we're talking to, this is not one line of business. This is your only line of business. This is the only thing supporting your family and all of your team's family as well. It's a good point. And on the same thing, you know, I, I mentioned credit earlier, but now one of the things car can't goes down or people can't pay for their repairs, right? I don't understand it. Again, I need somebody smarter than me to explain it to me. I can go on to Amazon and click a button and order a four pack of underwear. And what, and what pops up? Hey, would you like to pay for your four pack of underwear and four easy payments? <laughs> well, sure. What are these people teaching all of these other people? And I read something this morning. JP Morgan came out and said that there was $41 billion in credit ran up last month. Not any other. That was just credit card debt to the American people last month. At some point, they're going to stop raising the rates and everything else. And that's got me freaked out. I don't know... You're exactly right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chris, are you saying, are you saying those companies like um, Affirm or Klarna or whatever it's called, is that is that a concern for you? Is as far as you know, being able to make those payments, uh, do you see that as a detriment or? Well, I think they already can't make those payments. Like I think 
85. That's a scary part. Yeah. I think 85% of America is past paycheck to paycheck right now. And we're just one, one thing from shutting the whole thing down. Instead of finding ways to make people more fiscally responsible, we've just found ways for them to screw up more and make it easier to get more funny money like the government does and prints out, but I'm not going there. But it's just at some point we're going to hit the brick wall and people are not going to be able, they're not going to be able to eat. They're not going to be able to get the cars repaired. They're going to have to make some super huge choices. I wrote down these four words and it's a question. Will it slow down? And if it does, and there's indications that it will, then what do we need to tell our clients? I mean, let's spend the next 15 minutes on maybe some levers that we need to pull, things that we have to pay attention to, to survive whatever is going to be thrown at us. This is something that we saw for a very short time for a lot of people during the pandemic is if car count pulls back, And the demand is anything other than they just don't know about you, right? You can advertise all you want, but people are not driving. People are literally not allowed to leave their house or they don't even have any money to fix their cars. I don't care what kind of direct marketing you're doing. I don't care what kind of Google SEO that you're doing. That's right. How can you coach someone that's you looking at it? We've all seen the shops where you're like, you're pricing stuff correctly. You have a great culture. You have a great reputation. You have the world's best website. You're doing 80 cars a month. You need to be doing 120. That's what this shop needs to survive. What do you say to a shop owner that, you know, is in that situation? How do you get around that? How do you try to minimize that? I mean, if people aren't buying, they're just not buying. Like, but we're talking, here's the component, like several people in the industry didn't, weren't in our industry in 2008, 10, 12. So they don't know what that was like. If you don't have cash reserves, like four to six months to stay open and try to weather the storm, if you don't have creative alternative ways for financing, the only thing you can do at that point is cut expenses and, you know, maybe yeah. maybe you, instead of having three service advisors, and again, we get lazy, we get complacent, I want to go to the lake, so now I have four service advisors and a scheduler when I really only need two or three. Yeah, And so I think... I don't want to get into this too much, but I also think that that's part of the technician thing is some shops probably have one to two more technicians than they actually need. And if they worked better at getting productivity up and some other stuff, they can let those people back into the pool and there would be more people out there. I love that idea. Uh, It's like the the toilet paper during COVID, right? It's like, hey, we really run out of toilet paper or is car back there with, you know, 3000 rolls of toilet paper for the next 30 years? Yeah. Hunt, I think it, to your question, it matters what you do in good times. It's going to help support the tough times. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that, um, like Chris mentioned, the, the recession of uh, 08, 09, there are many shops that, you know, if they weren't financially strong before that, they really had a tough time. But I remember the recessions of the 80s, 90s, and every time there's a dip in the economy, because to your point, Hunt, when people aren't driving, that what can you do? No amount of smart marketing was going to bring people to you if they're not driving. But it matters what you do in great time. And I think that's the theme right here. Chris mentioned a couple of times, don't get fat and lazy right now. Do the right things in the good times because there'll always be ups and downs, ebbs and flows of business. And the stronger you are in good times, that will help you carry it through the tough times because there'll always be tough times. But, you know, you're right. If this business isn't out there, people aren't driving. If what happens, if Chris says really what happens, then no matter what you do, if people don't have the money to spend on anything, they're not coming to you. They're really not coming to you, but we'll survive. I don't want to paint this 
this image of uh, what's coming down the road, because what's coming down the road is nothing new. It's it's been before. It's kind of the same economic situation that that's always happened. But again, build your business really strong in the good times that will help you float the the tough times. I agree, Joe, you know, and I think, you know, like you said, you've got to you've got to appreciate when the good times are here. Uh, and you've really got to take advantage of those. And I think probably everybody on this panel can agree that some of the things we're telling our clients and what we always tell our clients is making sure that you're measuring and managing the labor side of the business. Because in my opinion, it's, it's, most it's, important. The, it's the most important, right? I, so agree. I agree. We're looking at productivity, efficiency. And to me, the single most important thing is, is effective labor rate. I, mean, I literally have a guy in my driveway right now detailing my wife's car. And it cost me $150 for him to come out and do that. And he has a 1998 Ford, you know, van, some <laughs> chemicals, and he's got a nice pressure washer and the guy's fantastic. And I love the work he does, but we all know shops across the country that are at 85 to $95 an hour. And it's crazy. And you know, the car count right now is masking a lot of problems in people's businesses. And so to your point, Joe is, We've got to be strong now because those times may come down the road. And those folks that have effective labor rates at 140, 150, 160, they're going to be okay. But those folks that are at 85, 90, $100 an hour, when car count drops 25, yeah. 40, 50%, they're gone. They're dead gone. in the water. They're they're in the water. Yep. Well, one of the other things that I've been seeing too is I have a lot of shops that are up 15, 20% in sales where they actually have a 10% decrease in car count. Because their ARO is going so yeah. much higher. Like you said, if business is really good. Hey, Jaron, you need $1,200 worth of work. Do it, right, Hunt? I don't care. Just get it done. And so naturally, if you don't have the capacity, your car count's going to go down just because you're doing more work per car. But the scary thing is, is if you now have lower car count than you did this same time two years ago because the ARO is so much higher, what happens like when Chris talks about it? It's like, hey, I know that this thing needs that work. I just don't have the money for it. So I'm going to say no because I just can't afford it because then you could literally have a 50% decrease in your sales with the same exact car count. You go from $800 ARO down to $400, your sales just got cut in half with the same amount of cars. Yeah. So again, you then have to double your car yeah. count just to try and get back to the same amount of sales that you were at before. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be hard for any sort of marketing, no matter what you're doing. And the weird thing is, is we have these other forces playing on our industry, right? Like my experience is, is that every time gas prices go up, car count goes down. This is the first time in my life I've ever seen gas price go to $5 plus a gallon and it didn't decrease anybody's car count. No, no one's changed their behavior, right? It, um, it is what it is, yeah. right? And so now it's dropping like here in Colorado, we just got under $4 a gallon now. So again, you know, A is X and up is down. And if you're a Stranger Things fan, we're all living <laughs> in the upside down, right? Like this yeah. is crazy. Yeah. But how, well, it's like know, something that people have never seen. Like I've never seen yeah. this in my lifetime. I mean, like the interest rates, the inflation rates have, the country has never seen this since the early eighties before I was yeah. alive. And I talked about this in one of my episodes. The scary part is, you know, the last time we saw inflation this high, mortgage rates were at about 15 or 16%. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 15.75%. Yeah. And we have people yeah. complaining right now because yeah. their mortgage rates are at five and a half percent, right? So yeah. it's like, hey, do I think that the mortgage rates are going to go to 18%, 50%? No, it's a completely different market right now. But do you think that that means that we're going to be going down on mortgage rates or up? 
You know, same with car financing, same with credit cards. Most of the country is in debt where America is a very consumer driven economy, right? Spend, 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 spend more than you have. Anyone that disagrees with that, hey, have your payroll run on Monday instead of Friday and see how long you get into Friday and say, hey, boss, where's my paycheck? You know, people need this money and we're on a very, very kind of thin line here. But Hunt, let me get back to something you said earlier about the car counts. It's not the worst thing in the world for businesses, shop owners, to look at their business model and say to themselves, you know what, this all makes all models, everything all-inclusive to go from a BMW to a Toyota Camry to a Mercedes and to be able to fix everything and anything. That was maybe the way it was when I started in the 80s, 90s. You can get away with that. I don't think it's that it's just not possible anymore. And to slow down a little bit, redefine your model, find out what's really what what really drives your economic engine. And that's, you know, like from the book, Good to Great, you know, find out what you're passionate in, find out what you're really good at, and then connect the dots to become really profitable at that. To think about what you said is, is a great point. And to be all makes, all models, everything, to keep that car count really high, really, we have to rethink that because sometimes slowing down, becoming very, very efficient, because you can't become efficient and profitable at things until you realize what you're very, very good at. And to become very, very good at everything, all models, EVs, hybrids, hydrogen, flying planes, whatever it is, you know, flying taxis, whatever it is, it's just not that, it's just not that possible anymore. So maybe the thing is to redefine who we are as, as businesses also, and then get that model really honed in, dialed in to a point where we become very, very profitable. Yeah, I mean, but you're exactly right. I mean, the entire world, the entire economy is going to specialization. Like, look at all the people on this, right? You know, I have an accounting firm and 99.9% of our businesses yeah. are auto repair shops because yeah. that's what we know. That's what we understand. Yeah. Look at doctors. Like their general practitioner is gone. Everyone is specializing. Lawyers, you know, you name it. Everything in this world is getting more and more hyper-focused because things are getting more complicated and you can provide a different level of service. And we're already starting to see that in, you know, the shop owner's world right now. And we need to redefine, not that this is a time and place, I don't want to go to another topic, but also redefine what a master level A technician is today. It's too difficult to be like I said earlier, to be a master level technician back when you got to worry about three things, General Motors, Ford and Chrysler, that was easy. (laughs) That was easy. Then you threw in the other big three, which was Toyota, uh, Nissan and Honda. Those big threes and the big six, you can do it. But today, I don't know if you can. So maybe the undercar guy who's a very proficient, he knows wheel alignment, steering angle sensors, ADOS, maybe that's a specialty of its own, and that's a master level. Then an EV master level. So, And to your point also, pediatricians, internists, radiologists, they're all considered doctors, but they all specialize in one particular area of medicine, right? There's a lot of things happening here, and maybe it's time to just look at ourselves internally and say, maybe a different model is not not the worst thing in the world. Maybe slowing up is not the worst thing in the world. I don't know if any of you noticed, but Michael is in, uh, really a focus on M&A, mergers and acquisitions and private equity, and he brings an incredible perspective on that to our industry, and I'm so grateful for him to be here. I took some very interesting notes. COVID, a false sense of success. Uh, the big get out is coming. That came from Michael. Two thirds are boomers. It's a scary thought. I took down this investment in training people and equipment, uh, SOPs. Top shops, the great operators are going to make it. 
So please send this to someone else because there's enough business for everyone out there. Don't overspend. Another great piece of advice. And to think about specialization. That came from you, Joe. And start to grow a value-based business. Michael, I think you brought that on with us. This was so interesting, so good. Yes, you're right. We could go on for a couple of hours. But I think when we look at the concise discussion that you all had, I think we hopefully got people, are going to get people to pay attention that this isn't going to continue like it is. And I think we need to run a much bigger and better business, pay attention to our people, increase your labor rate. But that's been the, the song that we've been singing here on the podcasts for a long, long, a long, long time. So thank you so much, Joe Marconi, Elite Worldwide Coach, former shop owner. And please go to autoshopowner.com. It is an incredible site. Just please go and join that and get all kinds of great content. Now, Joe, I think you write a blog there almost every day. Every day. <laughs> if you love the things that Joe had to say, go to autoshopowner.com. Chris Cotton, AutoFix, AutoShop, coaching on the uh, Weekly Blitz podcast from uh, from uh, from Chris. Michael Smith, managing partner, Hersberg Smith & Company. Michael, too bad we lost you at the end. And uh, Hunt Demmer, a CPA, Parmelis. Uh, yes, you do look a lot younger than you are, really. Looks <laughs> like he's in high school. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Business by the Numbers podcast, uh, all clients. So 99.9% are all shop owners. So this guy knows what he's talking about. And Jaron Kleber, Repair Shop of Tomorrow. Good stuff, Jaron. Thanks for all the great stuff. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Great thank time. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Carl. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.